7.02 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura Dealer today. Hour two of this program, it is underway. Adam Stanley, golf analyst, is going to join us in just a moment here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650 to kick off hour two. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Jason's going to tell the folks about Kintech, and then I'm going to tell them about the JCC Sports Dinner. We're coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Nothing to do with Gronk. But they are Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kentech.net. Finally, before we get to Adam, patiently on hold, the 2023 RBC JCC Sports Dinner is coming up on March 28th. You can be a part of the dinner by entering the 50-50 draw and the Duick Cadillac Raffle on now. Visit sportsdinnerraffle.com for tickets, as Jason mentioned. This year's guest speaker, brought to you by ZLC, is Rob Gronkowski. Yes, Gronk is coming to Vancouver. For full event info, go to jccsportsdinner.com. Okay, to the phone lines we go. Golf analyst, one of our favorites, Adam Stanley, here now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Adam. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. I wish I could go to this Gronk dinner. That sounds uh, sounds like a great time. Uh, Adam, tell us everything you know about Chad Ramey, who shot an (laughs) 8-under 64 yesterday. It must have been the round of his life to take the lead at these star-studded players. You know, I, I know a lot more about Chad Ramey than I ever thought I would. Uh, actually, kind of funny story. Chad Ramey and his wife just had a baby less than like a week ago, and this was the first time he's ever stepped foot on the property of TPC Sawgrass was like Monday afternoon. So this was his first competitive round here at Sawgrass. And he goes out and shoots an 8-under par 64. It was, uh, it was pretty darn impressive, all things, all things considered. Uh, a couple of Canadians in the mix, too. Taylor Pendrith and Adam Swenson, local boy from Surrey. Uh, they're just a few shots back. Um, I think we've had this conversation with you before. But yeah. with the number of Canadian players that are out on the PGA Tour, um, we all just keep waiting for one of them to take that step into elite status where – they're at these major tournaments like the players, and they're considered like a consistent contender. I think Corey Connors might have gotten the closest to that status in the last little while, but he still hasn't really broken through. Um, Pendrith and Connors were both at the President's Cup, so that was a feather in their cap, although it didn't go so well for them there. Um, have you have you kind of like reshuffled your power rankings of Canadian men's golfers and like who do you think it is the guy that we could see consistently compete to win not just you know finish top 10 but to actually win some of these major tournaments Yeah I mean it's a it's a good point that you kind of quantified your your description with Canadian men uh, because obviously Brooke Henderson of course is out there doing it <laughs> she's winning majors exactly top five yes. in the world etc cetera, etc cetera. so uh, and and you know the, the guys out here on the pga tour will be the first to admit that they're seeing that and they want that they're chasing it so you know brooke is not only inspiring a whole generation of, of young girls in, in this country but also you know the guys on the pga tour now you know as a golf fan you know it, it's never been a better time to follow canadian golf i think we've got eight guys with full status on the pga tour uh and they're all essentially in in their prime they basically have all 
won already. Taylor Pendrith, the only one who hasn't, but he continues to, to get himself in the mix. I think Corey Connors remains probably the, I mean, he's the top ranked Canadian in the world uh, for a reason. I think he has probably the most complete game of any of the guys. And, and he's proven that uh, over and over again, three straight top 10 finishes uh, at the masters, you know, obviously super comfortable at that place. And, and we all know what happens if a Canadian uh, wins the masters, he will inspire an entire new generation to want to take up golf. So uh, Corey kind of remains that, that top ranked guy for me uh, following him, probably Nick Taylor might have jumped up my rankings a mm. little bit after his performance at the, uh, the Phoenix open a few weeks ago. Uh, and, and we kind of forget that Nick actually has two PGA tour victories, whereas basically everyone else uh, who has one has only won a singular event. So, you know, Nick Taylor has proven repeatedly that he can get the job done when, uh, when he needs to. And when he's under the gun, uh, stood up right alongside John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler in Phoenix in that final round, nearly took that event across the finish line. Uh, and then the rest of the guys are, are kind of right there, you know, three, four, five. It's a negligible uh, kind of difference between all those guys. Uh, Svensson, I think, has been super impressive this year, just quickly on him. Uh, he probably has the most textbook-looking swing of any Canadian on the PGA Tour. He just hits all of his spots every single time. It's so, so impressive. Uh, he told me earlier in the week that he's been putting unbelievably good over the last couple of weeks, uh, whereas his ball striking has always been solid. The putting's kind of held him back a little bit, but now he's just putting uh, extremely well, and, and he's really anxious to see you know, how all, of, all facets of his game come together. Certainly uh, a, very, a very tidy first round. Obviously would have liked to have that last hole back, made a bogey on his closing hole yesterday. Uh, but definitely in the mix here today. And, you know, like you said with your question originally, you know, these guys are, are not just kind of competing and contending, you know, at the Sanderson Farms Championship. These guys are, are here on the biggest stages on the PGA Tour, and, and, and they're in the mix, which is, which is super exciting. Uh, the top three players in the world were all together yesterday, um, and I suppose they'll all be together today. Uh, it went well for Scotty Scheffler. It went fine yeah. for John Rahm. <laughs> It did not go well for Rory McIlroy. Um, you know, I just look at those three swings, and they're so different. You've got Rory's swing, which is just a sight to behold. I think, you know, even all the all the weekend golfers have probably been like, I'm going to watch the Rory swing in slow motion and try and recreate that with my own swing. And then you've got Scotty Scheffler that's got that weird foot shuffle. And then John Rahm with – like I've got a backswing like John Rom, but only because I'm not flexible. <laughs> like I don't stretch. So, right, but like I actually like like I, I watch John Rom play, and I'm like I don't know how he creates the swing speed with such a short backswing. Um, what do you see when you see those three players, and what does it say that you can have the top three players in the world, and you look at their swings, and they're all quite different. Yeah, I mean, I, that's that's just golf, I guess. There's no, you know, obviously there are, um, you know, the, the certain spots and the slots that everyone tries to hit uh, when it comes to impact, when it comes mm -hmm. to backswing, downswing, the transition, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, as long as you kind of get to ball on face, pointing at your target, it doesn't really matter what the rest of the action kind of looks like. And, you know, look no further than those three guys as, as three perfect examples of how crazy and maddening and wild and different this game can be. Like you said, John Rahm has an extremely short backswing, um, you know, just blast through. And, you know, he's been the most dominant player on the PGA tour this, this entire season. Scotty Scheffler has that funky foot action. Like I still have no idea how he does what he does given that, given that foot stuff. I don't know how he doesn't flip all over himself every single time he hits the <laughs> golf ball. So unique action from him. And then, of course, there's Rory, who, you know, has probably the most just 
attractive swing. It's kind of the only way I could say it. The, the swing is just good looking. And, and, you know, that's, that's a swing. That's an action that, that everyone is trying to, um, uh, trying to just mimic even Tiger Woods's kid. I mean, Tiger was like, don't copy my swing, uh, Charlie, like copy Rory swing instead. So that's pretty high praise from him. So, um, yeah, I mean, those top three guys are top three for a reason. Rory obviously struggled, um, pretty mightily yesterday admitted he's been uh, really off with the driver the last couple weeks um you know and obviously he's carrying the weight of the entire pga tour on his shoulders as well uh no bigger weight than this week here at the tour's crown jewel so um yeah i mean i think those guys are going to keep battling for number one in the world over the next couple weeks no one's really you know gunning for their uh for their mantle but you know as a as a sports fan you, you want to see some excitement at, at the top of the world rankings like this and that's exactly what they're delivering as we kind of get into the major championship season we're speaking to golf analyst Adam Stanley here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Adam's coming to us live from Florida at TPC Sawgrass for the Players' Championship. I mention this because, Adam, I believe that you're doing every single Sportsnet media outlet this morning, including our show. So, one, thank you. Two, congrats. Three, no since you're live on the ground doing the reporting, is there a full swing effect, in effect, on the tour right now. I ask this because I really got into the series. We had Chad Mum, the director of the Netflix yep. doc series on our show about a week and a half ago. And, you know, usually how this plays out is people sit down, they watch, and then they start paying attention to Sahithi Gala and everyone else that kind of yeah. gets these big cameo <laughs> yeah. appearances. But is that effect happening as you're there in Florida live while on tour? Yeah, I uh, I saw Chad yesterday as well. I have to give him a brief thank you as his creative team installed a cameo of me in the Joel Damon episode. So oh, I was in, nice. I was in the show for like two seconds, which was which was pretty wild. But uh, yeah, I think you know it, it's from a a Netflix perspective. They got the green light. They're going to do season two. I think Chad told me that it was the seventh most the seventh highest number of hours watched by any netflix program period so far in 2023 uh and for a niche sports documentary it's not a small number like that is that is pretty darn impressive it never got to number one um in the united states but it got to number two um in terms of most watched and and you know obviously those numbers are super important to netflix and you know they gave them the green light and they're they're off to the races for season two so everyone's you know excited about that i think it's too early to tell if you know the trickle down effect will be installed to some of the events you know, as the season chugs along, you know, the 3M Open in, uh, in, in Minnesota, the Rocket Mortgage in Detroit, some of these events um, that maybe not a lot of people will know about. It's the middle of the summer, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe they'll get a, a little bit of a bump because people are going to be pumped after watching uh, Netflix to go and watch that tournament because some of those names are going to be in that field. I mean, this is the players. This is Northeast Florida. It's a golf haven. It's golf obsessed. It's a big time tournament. So we, we're not really seeing sort of, you know, the, the bump of, of excitement about just golf. What we are seeing, and it's kind of funny, is that people are recognizing Chad. When I was talking to him, um, you know, a few people were like, yeah, that's the guy from Netflix. And then sure enough, some of my, my media colleagues, um, Dan Rappaport and, and Dylan DeCher, um, who were, you know, the guys explaining what the cut is uh, in every episode, um, they're also getting recognized a lot. I was walking with Dylan the other day, and it was like, oh, that's the guy from Netflix. And it's like, wow, I guess that's true. This is the guy from Netflix. So you kind of forget that 290 million people around the world have uh, have Netflix and have you know the potential for watching it. So we shall see as the summer chugs along if that trickles down effect uh, works. But certainly, you know, they wouldn't be doing a second season if uh, if they weren't hitting all the numbers that that Netflix was looking at uh, in terms of a program like this. 
What do you think of the PGA Tour's decision to start including some no-cut tournaments, limited field no-cut tournaments? Um, this yeah. is this is all a reaction to live, right? Like the the people at live must 100%. have been, yeah. Like Phil Mickelson, for um, as crass as his comments were about live golf and trying to get some leverage on the PGA Tour, like at the end of the day, he was a hundred percent right, was he not? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and I think that certainly the way that he went about it, and probably the language that he used, he'd like to have all that back. But I think this is what what we've kind of got now is just a very classic business that has been the only game in town for uh, for a half a century and then a competition a competitor has come along and it's inspired the um you know the existing company to want to change and do better and do different and i don't think that's really any different than any other sort of line of business that we see but it's extremely jarring for professional golf because there has only ever been sort of this one league, the PGA Tour, and certainly the the funding that uh, has been installed for the rival league. There's a lot of questions around that. Um, you know, obviously Greg Norman has been somebody that has been a rival to the PGA Tour, if you will, for almost two or three decades. So that's kind of a, a bit of a tough scene as well. And then, of course, the the Live Golf Tour has basically taken all of the villains from the PGA Tour over there, from the mm-hmm. Brooks Kepka to the Bryson DeChambeau to the Patrick Reed, Pat Perez, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, all of the reactions that the PGA Tour has announced over the last couple of weeks has been in direct response to what Liv has been doing. You know, they, I don't really think the PGA Tour has to do a lot more to keep the best players over here on the PGA Tour. I think they've done exactly that. There doesn't seem to be all the hot rumors about guys making the jump over to live, uh, but it's certainly going to be unique as the season chugs along and, and we turn the calendar into 2024, um, you know, to see about the rank and file guys. Like if uh, we wouldn't have had the Nick Taylor story, finishing second at the Phoenix open, uh, being in the mix with the top two players in the world um, had this, uh, had this kind of schedule been installed already he just wouldn't have made it into the field so we kind of lose some of that and um you know i it, it, which would be tough to see over the next year or so but you know again as a sports fan you want to see the best players continue to compete and play as often as possible and, and that's what we're going to be getting now that you've seen live in action for a while do you think it's here to stay wow that, that's probably the the hundred million dollar question for sure um, I mean, they haven't turned a profit yet. And despite the fact that, you know, the Saudi government has endless money, has all the money, uh, I think at the end of the day, it's still the public investment fund, the PIF. So, you know, if they're investing in this and they spent whatever it was last year, you know, half a billion dollars or something, and they made no money, how, lo- how much longer can they continue to do that before the shiny new syndrome wears off this year you know big change um you know last year the piff paid for absolutely everything flights hotels et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. this year there's none of that there, there's not uh, the, the faucet has been closed mm-hmm. so the teams have to be responsible for for figuring out their own stuff so you know that's one step towards you know live or, or piff excuse me taking a step back so um you know if they go another year without making any money could they get into year three or four and still be as inspired as ever to do it? I don't think so. I think some of those guys signed three-year deals uh, like DJ, like Brooks, um, the, the big, like Bryson, the big, big names, like Cam Smith as well. So, uh, you know, they're probably looking at this as a three-year project and then going from there. Obviously, no argument for me. Liv has inspired the PGA Tour to do a better product. 
Um, but it, I think it's still much too early to say if, if live is a, a three-year thing, a five-year thing, or if it's going to be here to stay. How much are people talking about Tiger and his ex-girlfriend out in Florida <laughs> and the fact that they're in yeah. court now and uh, relationships don't seem to end well for Tiger, do they? They, they? they do not. And the way that he goes about ending the relationships or how they end with him does not seem to be very good either. I think I think the story was like the, he was tricked into – tricked her into going on vacation and then yeah. you know by the time she got back from the airport realizing that it wasn't actually a vacation the, the locks were changed or something like that something so, like that yeah tough, tough scene there yeah <laughs> um but yeah i think the uh the uh <laughs> the the court documents are, are the court documents i think sports illustrated managed to manage to get them uh maybe the wall street journal or new york times or something like that as well got them so um yeah i mean the the case is going to be tried in court. We're going to see what happens. I think that was definitely a big kind of Wednesday into Thursday story. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, Tiger's team is not going to say anything. No surprise there. Tiger's not saying anything. It's a court case now. And, yeah, there's really, uh, to be honest, there's really not that much chatter about it. Um, kind of yesterday, end of day, and, and into today, it's mm-hmm. kind of one of those things where it's just like, oh, man, oh, Tiger, what are, what are we doing here, man? Yeah. To get in a relationship with Tiger Woods, you have to sign an NDA, which is quite a th- yeah. quite a, quite a statement. Um, when are we going to see Tiger next? Is it going to be at the Masters, or is there another tournament uh, on his docket? Yeah, I mean that's a great question. I think some people were were hoping that he was going to play this week. Um, you know, obviously he's won this tournament twice. Uh, the golf course is, is extremely flat. Uh, there's it's not that far from where he lives. The weather's been super nice, um, but he's just not, he just wasn't ready. He's just not ready. He's not going to do it. Um, so yeah, Masters seems like he's going to be trending towards teeing it up, uh, teeing it up that week. And then we will see after that British Open for sure. Uh, he likes that golf course. It's super flat as well. Um, PGA and, and US Open, I think are a little bit touch and go, um, but it, it kind of just depends on his health as it will from now until uh, he decides to not really play anymore but yeah i guess the national definitely big circle on that one i think he said he wants to play he's getting ready to play for that one uh unless something crazy um comes along with his uh physical recovery then yeah i would expect to see him at augusta national for sure uh adam thanks a lot for doing this today we really appreciate it enjoy the rest of the tournament should be a no lot worries. of fun and uh good luck with the rest of your media hits all morning across the sports net family <laughs> thanks Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Have a nice weekend. You too. Thanks. That's Adam Stanley, golf analyst here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Golf actually is going to be one of the major stories this weekend. As far like what else is really on the docket? Canucks Senators. Canucks Senators. Seven o'clock, Rogers Arena, Saturday night. We're giving one lucky listener two tickets to the game. Uh, when is uh, March Madness? Is this is this the weekend that they're going to determine the selection Sunday? Yeah, Sunday. Right. Yeah, so yeah. that's going to be the other. Big kind of wide range, not non-local story that people are going to be focusing on, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, Selection. I have not been following college basketball at all this season. I'm going to tell you the team you need to get behind. Who's the team? It's not Gonzaga, is it? No. They've had a really off year, haven't they? Yeah, but they... But they still got the talent to compete? Drew Timmy. Remember him? He's got the mustache? Yeah. He became the school's all-time leading scorer the other day. I think that they won the WCC tournament over St. Mary's, I want to say. Did he pass the other guy with the with the mustache? What was his name? Uh, God, I can't remember the Who guy. Who was that guy that, 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 was, uh, that was drafted and didn't really pan out, though? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not off the top of my head. The other guy who was drafted. With, with, the, with the mustache. From Gonzaga. Gonzaga? Yeah. 
Never mind. Where's basketball Phil? Where we anyway, yeah, exactly. The, the only reason the team that you need to get behind is the Drake Bulldogs. The Drake Bulldogs. Yeah, Drake University Bulldogs. They have the most eclectic roster in all of college basketball. I believe they have three guys that are 25 years old. They, because you know how everything got screwed up during COVID, and they were giving away extra years of eligibility. Adam Morrison. Adam Morrison. There you go. Good one. Um, yeah, Gonzaga State. Drake Adam. University? The Drake, yeah. Love the Drake. Hate the Drake. But yeah, Drake University Bulldogs. You could say they started from the bottom. Now they're here. Yes, very good, laddie. Well done. Um, they are, they're the oldest collegiate athletics team I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. That's they, awesome. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. They've got, they have guys that have been playing college basketball since like 1994. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. Like, they're so old. Like, I, like, here's the thing. Um, I don't. Th- if you don't understand the U.S. collegiate thing, is it's not like you know. A lot of people say, "Well, the NHL gets lots of its players from junior hockey, mm-hmm. right?" You get guys that are 16, 17, 18 years old, and you're you're eyeballing them like crazy, but you're doing it. Uh, you're it's so far removed, right? Yeah. Like I, as I go on a tangent here, I was listening to Sat and uh, I think it was Sat and Bick the other day, and they were talking to. Um, a prospects analyst and talking about Ma- Matej Michkov. The, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Russian kid is right, going to take and, a few years to get over here. Right. And they're like, he's like, you're not drafting him for next year. Mm-hmm. And you're not drafting him for next year. And you're not drafting him for three. I'm like, when are you drafting him for then? Like, it's it, it was just my internal impatience coming mm-hmm. out, right? You should be the GM of the Canucks. You're impatient enough. I just want a guy that can play, right? I don't want to do future speculating on a kid that, <laughs> like, I we have to wait till he grows. That to me is crazy. But anyway... A lot of these U.S. collegiate athletes are basically men by the time that they're ready to go pro. A lot yeah. of them, right? They're yeah. they're fully grown. They don't have to put on man strength. Fully they, grown Jake Livingston's. Yeah, right? He's like 20, close to 24 years old, if I'm not mistaken. He's like Quinn Hughes' age, I think. Right. And that's that's kind of the thing where your window is going to be significantly smaller because, you know, you don't get those prime years in their late teens, early 20s. But at the same time, you get you got a much better sense of what you're getting. Like mm-hmm. the quarterback for Georgia, Stetson Bennett the fourth. Right. He's ninety years old, right? Like he's already done. <laughs> but uh with this Drake basketball team, they managed to collect a bunch of these guys. They're not anomalies. They're all like that. Is that guy gonna get drafted? Yes. Yeah. Like he was at the combine, wasn't he? Yeah, he's played his way into you'll be a serviceable NFL backup. Mm-hmm. Maybe if we throw you in the starter position, you can hold the fort down and get us a couple dubs. I bet if you didn't have a cool name like Stetson uh, Bennett the fourth. I love that he's the fourth generation Stetson yeah. Bennett. Like yeah. t- you know, that's a name that stood the test my dad, of time. My dad was Stetson, his dad was Stetson, and his dad was Stetson. That's you don't come up with that name in 2023. That's, that's an old-timey name. It is, but it's almost gone through the lineage of where it was cool. In, like, the 10s and 20s, and then it became irrelevant. Now it's kind of cool. Back in style. Uh, We should do some What We Learns and Ask Us Anythings coming up on the show, but we also need to talk to Kevin Woodley from NHL.com and In Goal Magazine. That's going to be at 7.30. And then at 8 o'clock, Vanny Sartini, manager of the Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, The Whitecaps got a big win on Wednesday. They're looking to get another one on Saturday against FC Dallas at home at BC Place. we got a lot more to get into. We're giving away tickets to the Canucks Senators game as well. So all you have to do, is listen to the show, and if you want the tickets, send to what we learn or ask us anything to the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650.
But the main objective is don't leave. Stick with us. It's going to be fun. we got a final 90 minutes left on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of the program. We're smack in the middle of it. Kevin Woodley from NHL.com and Ingle Magazine is going to join us in a sec here. Hour two of this program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. It is Ask Us Anything Friday. I've actually got an Ask the Audience Anything. Um, if you watched the clip of this morning's show on Twitter, you're watching the live stream now, tell me what this hat I'm wearing is. I got it in a discount bin okay. at a baseball store, mm-hmm. and I just liked it because I didn't have a purple hat. And it was Scotia pr- baseball? And it was a pro So do you actually not know what it is? I have no idea what this is. So it's a purple hat. I originally, when I came in here, I was like, I saw you from the side, mm-hmm. and I was like, is that a Huskies? Like a Washington Huskies? It's got Huskies there's, vibes. Because there's, there's, there's gold, purple, and white, mm-hmm. but the letters are N- S. So I looked it up, and, and Nova Scotia baseball has a similar logo, but not the color scheme. Mm. It'd be never... hilarious if it was something incredibly offensive, and you <laughs> said, no, <laughs> Did I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you looked it up, you're like, oh, no. Is my hat a milkshake duck? It seems so cool. But... Yeah. Oh, that's a popular uh, militia in yeah. Michigan. Turns out his hat was, <laughs> the N stood for Nazi, so that's not good. <laughs> anyway, if someone could tell me what this means, that'd be great. Uh, Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Also, if you want to win a pair of Canucks tickets, uh, Saturday's game against the Ottawa Senators. There blank go. there in a moment. Uh, we're giving away a pair of tickets, 7 o'clock Rogers Arena. Best ask us anything or what we learned, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. Don't forget, you need a ticket emoji in your text to be entered into the grand prize draw. Let's go to the phone lines. Kevin Woodley waiting patiently on Someone texted here. in, that's North Shore Baseball. Okay. Maybe. Yeah, it, I'll the, check. The You know what? The acronym absolutely fits. NS and North Shore, that checks out. Okay. Kevin Woodley now, Halford Bruff, Sports Night 650. What up, Woodley? Some great sleuthing, boys. Some great sleuthing. Yeah, that's all you got to do is ask the people. We don't do that enough, by the way. Like, we could do two-thirds of the show if we just ask the audience. Yeah, to it do is North Shore us. Baseball. It's different different colors I'm looking at, uh, but uh, that's the same logo for sure. Well, I'm representing North Shore Baseball right on. Anyway, Kev, I know this is really all very meaningless in the context of our conversations, but uh, that's the Halford and Bruff show in a nutshell. Uh, let's talk a little hockey here. Uh, Vancouver Connects will be in action on Saturday against the uh, Ottawa Senators at Rogers Arena. You know, I've been watching the Senators team over the last week for a little bit here, and I did notice that they're relying heavily on Mads Sogard in net, the, the, the pride of Danish goalkeeping. What do you know about this guy real quick before we get into all the other stuff? He big. He big. He really big. Okay. He's like really, really big. And he burst onto the scene here at the World Juniors Championships, uh, was that 2019? Um, I don't even remember. I think, you know, it was, it was the first game of the tournament. And 
it was the usual Canada controversy where they thumped somebody and he was the goalie on the other end of that. Um, but uh, in a small world thing, the, the goalie coach of that was actually Frederick Anderson's dad. And so Frederick Anderson reached out to him and sort of helped him a little bit with his game during that tournament and helped him move past that thumping. And interestingly enough, despite the thumping, he kind of raised some eyebrows with uh, his performance and some of the big saves he did make in that event. And Obviously, one was uh, Ottawa Senators' uh, since-fired goalie coach, Pierre Gru, who, it's really interesting, not to pick on the Sens too much here, but um, I ripped them for that move at the time when I fired him three-quarters of the way through the season, and now you see the goaltending they're getting, uh, and a lot of that is guys that he picked, and the goaltending they're not getting, in other words, Philip Gustafson was a guy that um, their head coach wanted to move on from even earlier, if not for Pierre Grew, and once Grew was fired, Ottawa did. And how's that looking for you? Because Philip Gustafson has the best adjusted save percentage in the entire NHL, passing Linus Allmark this week. So uh, some curious decisions when it comes to goaltending for the Sens over the past little while. And yet... And yet, because of the prospect pool they built, Kevin Mandelis has also had some decent starts for them. Um, the future looks bright. They just need to start making some better decisions in the here and now. So, uh, Ottawa looking to get into the playoffs. We spent a lot of time looking at that chase, but also looking at these teams that are in playoff positions because we're trying to get revved up for the postseason. Like, we've got to follow these narratives and these storyline arcs and everything. And obviously, one of the big ones is always the goaltending position, especially in the first round where teams sometimes make the switch and what have you. So let's run through some of these and get your thoughts on the goaltending situation. Let's start with, I think, the biggest and most profound one in Toronto. Real simple. If the playoffs were to start today, who's going to be the game one, number one starting netminder? Is it Matt Murray or Ilya Samsonov? What if I told you it might depend where they open? Very interesting. Go on. I mean, it's the, the, they're fighting for the 2-3 spot. I, I haven't checked recently to see whether they're locked in the home ice advantage. But honestly, that might be the one. And, and this is a pet project of mine, so there's some biases here. So I'm going to be honest. This is may just, maybe just me trying to speak it into existence. But it's about time we had an actual tandem in the playoffs. They work so well during the season. It boggles my mind that teams have the type of success they have going back and forth and then abandon it completely because we got to have a number one when the playoffs start. Best example remains the Vegas Golden Knights when they had Flurry and Robin Lehner alternating for two straight months. Both of them post the best numbers they've ever posted when they were in Vegas. Some of them the best numbers of their career during that two-month stretch. And then as soon as the playoffs start, we got to have a number one. We abandon the back and forth until it's too late. I think that Samsonov's numbers at home uh, have been so sparkling that you could see a home road split. Um, beyond that, honestly, like it could very much depend on individual tendencies. Like That's one where it's kind of a pick em. I see both guys with um, tendencies in their game that can be exploited by opponents. Like, like, not, like, there's no perfect goaltender, but both of them have sort of different glaring issues. And if teams are going to find the time and space and have the pre-scout to break that down, you're going to have to be willing to change really quickly there. And so I don't have an answer because I don't think they have enough of a difference between the two of them. I suspect if Murray stays healthy, and we've already established that that's a capital I, capital F, if, um, he ends up being the guy to start the playoffs. But I, wouldn't, I, like, I would be shocked if the Maple Leafs, were they to get through a round or even just during the first round, don't end up using both. 
And I don't think that should be a giant, like, oh, my God, the world is falling. They needed two goaltenders. Because if you look around the league, some of the best teams have two really good ones. The Leafs, you know, maybe not in the category of a Boston with Swayman and Allmark or a, the Islanders even with Varlamov and Sorokin or the Wild with Flower and Gustafson. But there's not a big difference between the two. They have different tendencies. And I think, honestly, even you could you could throw a goalie in there and mess up an opponent's sort of pre-scout and plan on how they're trying to exploit a guy in the middle of the series. What are the Wild going to do? You've already mentioned Flurry uh, and Philip Gustafson. Gustafson's numbers are off the charts. Uh, 935 save percentage. Um, and yet I watched Marc-Andre Fleury in, in Winnipeg the other day, and he looked pretty sharp. Um, is Fleury going to be involved in yet another playoff controversy? He could be. Um, and here's the thing. Like I said, Gustafson's adjusted, adjusted numbers, like I said, this week passed Lena Salmark for the tops in the league. That's how good this kid has been. And the adjusted numbers have been top 10 all season. It's just the team game is stabilized in front of the goalies over the past two months to the point where we're all seeing it in the raw numbers too. Um, since I think it was mid-December, I uh, was talking to their goalie coach and did a little split uh, on Clearsight. Flurry's adjusted numbers are right up there too. So it could be a controversy because the raw numbers are different, but honestly, over the past couple of months, and that's a big enough sample, um, it wouldn't be as you know shocking or as it wouldn't be a bad decision necessarily to put Mark Andre Fleury in there. That said, I mean it's kind of hard to ignore the best numbers in the NHL, and so it, to me, it's it's probably got to be Gustafson unless something changes over the last month of the season. And again. Like, especially with Fleury, we've seen this before. Even if you start him, you ain't finishing him. Um, the Vegas series that I just referred to with Laner, they went with Fleury, and I understood it at the time, even if I didn't love it, because he was so damn good at the start of that series against Minnesota, the first three games. Like, they don't get through the first round without him. Um, but he started to tail off because of his age and because of the demands. I think if you remember, they ended up putting Laner in for the first game of the Colorado series, and it was kind of like, ah, here, we're just giving this one up because our, our number one's tired. Um, and by that time, Robin had sort of lost the groove he had during the season. So, uh, like, to me, that's the prime example. Even if you're mixing Fleury in at this age, you can't run with him long term. So why would you let the other guy sit there and collect rust? They are, they are like, the perfect example of a 2-1 split or even a back-and-forth split. Like, at the most, unless Gustafson just goes on an absolute heater, mm-hmm. like, I would have two, one guy start two and one guy start one. There's no way you can roll with Fleury start to finish. Uh, we've seen a couple of teams fail and try, including Minnesota last year. So, um, again, speaking it into existence, I want tandems. Uh, who should the Canucks tandem be next season? We were having this discussion earlier in the week about – who the backup should be, and my conclusion would be nobody that's in the organization right now because I think Arthur Seelov should be given development time down in the AHL, and frankly, I don't trust Colin Dealey or Spencer Martin to do the job. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd be curious to see what they think the, the existing names can do behind this team. Um, you know, I went through the splits in terms of where this team is at defensively on the on on uh, with with Sat and Dan on Wednesday afternoon, I don't know if you guys heard it. Like overall, pre and post talk it, they went from 31st in expected goals against to 10th. But some of the real big breakdowns in high danger chances against, like off the rush, 32nd to 18th, uh, and some of the specific types of plays. And these are plays that we've seen all year, like slot line. 
lateral passes across the middle, yeah. seam plays as we call them, from 32nd to 11th. Screens, how many times have you heard me bitching about guys being in the way of their own goaltender and then being in the lane visually but not actually taking the lane away with a shot block from 27th to 4th under Rick Tockett. Yeah. Broken plays, the pucks, how many times have we talked about since the preseason I've been banging the drum of not taking care of the front of their net from 31st to 5th. Slot area shots from 32nd to 3rd. Like they were a 23rd, 24th ranked defensive team last year. They were 32nd under Boudreaux this year. And I don't think people understand that the difference isn't just eight spots. It's exponential. And I'd be curious to see if the organization gives Spencer another shot at the end of the season or if they think he can be the guy in a primary backup role next season, what they envisioned him playing this year, if this team's actually going to defend at a high level. So I haven't dismissed that as much as everyone else has. Beyond that, Arturs needs to play. Um, for all the focus on Mikey DiPietro over the past couple of years getting screwed by the pandemic, Silas was the same way. He barely played for two seasons. Last year, he was Mikey DiPietro. He couldn't get a spot to play. They finally sent him down to the coast late in the season to get him games. So um, the idea of him being up here and watching games for two weeks at a time and playing once every two weeks behind Demko is absurd at this point in his development. You've, he doesn't need waivers. You've got a farm team close by. I don't know if it's going to be next year or the year after, but you need to use that. And this last start is a prime example. You can have him in Abbotsford and play all the games on the weekend and then give him a Tuesday start against the Canucks. Uh, the Nashville Predators did it for a year with UC Soros, where he was their primary backup, but still played a bunch of games in the American Hockey League to sort of keep him in that rhythm and keep him learning. Hockey goaltending is a game of patterns. It's not a game of shots. And the more you play, the more you recognize those patterns coming at you. And so Seelovs needs to play, but that doesn't actually prevent him from being the backup. I think it's still a year away from that, and you need to find a stopgap. To me, next year is the year where you have your ideal situation. You find a veteran who can give you a start every two weeks, whether, whether that's going to be uh, Martin or Delia or from outside the organization, as you suggest. And as long as Demko's healthy and you need that guy every two weeks, he's your guy in the NHL. But if, you, if Demko goes down and you need a guy for two straight weeks, you have the understanding that maybe there's a higher, higher ceiling of your number three, Archer Seelovs, and he comes up in that situation. And then the next year you, you go to the one where you know, Seelovs is the backup, but he's still playing games in the American Hockey League. And you know, I've ripped this organization plenty, lack of a practice facility. They need to upgrade the ice plant at, at, at Rogers Arena, especially as they keep telling us they're going to play fast or they want to play fast, pretty hard to on ice that routinely opponents come in and criticize changing skates, having to change their sharpenings because it's so soft. But the one they got right is moving the farm team to Abbotsford, and we may finally see that pay off in terms of how they're able to manage Archer Seelovs over the next two years. Um, Kev, those numbers that you cited, the defensive numbers, yes, I guess sir. the big question is, is that sustainable, and is are the Canucks going to be able to carry that over into next season? Do you have any theories on that? Because people will push back and say, well – the schedule has softened up. They've played yeah. some easier teams. Um, but I also think the other the other element of it, and, and, and I'm not asking you to dive this deep into it, but the Canucks have had quite a few changes on the back end in the last little while through injuries. And the guys that have come up from the AHL have actually uh, done quite well. Um, now, whether that's sustainable or not, I don't know. What are your thoughts on this? Because this is a major question going into next season. 
Yeah, no, and it's a fair question, and I'm, I'm, I wouldn't push back against that criticism at all. Like, we've seen it, it's just because we've seen it too many years, right? Like, twas ever thus. The Canucks win a whole bunch of meaningless games down the stretch, screw their draft position, and then stumble out of the gate the next year. Um, I, I would push back against the pushback a little bit, but not too much. You're right, the schedule is totally softened. Nashville's got a pop-gun offense, and with... Tommy Novak and Luke Evangelista, who looked like, you know, like he could have been my child. He was so small and, and <laughs> tiny in the post game with Nashville. On your first line, they stormed back in the third period and scored twice against you. Interestingly enough, by getting to the inside, both off the rush on one chance uh, and just by, you know, this tiny little guy getting position on the second rebound opportunity. So um, this is not perfect. This is not fixed. I don't think anybody there suggests it is. Uh, a large part of these numbers, for sure, are opponents. But I don't think you would have seen the numbers shift this dramatically without a change. And, you know, as as much as um, this has been a team that has struggled out of the gates when things sort of are for real and teams maybe aren't overlooking them, and, hey, like, this isn't just the fans saying this. This isn't just me saying it. This is what Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford pointed to at the end of last season. Yeah, like, yeah. they didn't think they were getting other teams' best. So this, I don't think this is a secret for the organization. They're cognizant of this. Mm-hmm. The difference would be they were winning games last year against teams doing it that way with some of the worst defensive metrics in the league, and Thatcher Demko standing on his head. Um, At the very least, we see a trend towards a better focus. Whether the personnel or the opponents, whether it can be sustained, I don't know. But I feel like there's more accountability as a five-man group for playing this way. And that hasn't necessarily been there in the past. And maybe it's because I'm the goalie guy and always looking to defend them. But I've said for years, like, like it, it didn't matter if you made the playoffs because this type of hockey doesn't win. Like The accountability defensively, the attention to deal def- detail defensively, and we talk about this defense group. Everybody's talking about the AHL guys and the job they've done, and the, it's all very fair points. But how many times have you heard me rail about defense not being about defensemen? Just. It's a five-man effort, and we're seeing – it's not fixed, but we're seeing better trends in that regard, and the numbers bear that out. And how much of it is sustainable and to what degree when teams come charged in at the start of next season, I can't tell you. But I do have the sense that Rick Tockett's going to demand it, and not just from a handful of his players, but from his best players. And again, that's another thing that just hasn't been the case. And I don't even necessarily blame like the top-end skill guys. They came in to a team where they were just asked to score and create offensively and contribute offensively. Well, now they're learning um, that there's another end of the rink they need to take care of, and there's an accountability there that, you know, frankly just hasn't been there for a while. And so um, I'm not going to tell you they fixed any of it. I'm not going to tell you this is sustainable next year. But at least they're trying, and I'm not sure that's been the case for a while. We're speaking to Kevin Woodley from NHL.com and Ingle Magazine here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, so we've done Vancouver, Toronto, Ottawa, Minnesota. Um, i got to ask you about Vegas. Four goalies have played this year for Vegas, in, and they're first in the division, which is impressive. Logan Thompson, Aiden Hill, Laurent Brossois, and now Jonathan Quick. Jonathan Quick's been the goalie of record in two of the last three. Does he start for them in the playoffs? Depends on if the other two are healthy. Like, okay. that's the big thing. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, you know, I know he had a good night the other night statistically. I'll be honest, I didn't watch the game. Certainly I saw a, a tying goal, you know, where he slid through his save spot and couldn't get back and left an open net, although at the same time, 
what what a fake pass or fake shot pass by Kucherov. So, you know, I I, I have a hard time being overly critical. Um, Listen, like Jonathan Quick's game in Los Angeles had atrophy to the point where he was – you hear me talk a lot about goals or, or sorry, save percentage relative to expected. He was a full 4% under expected. People are like, hey, what the hell does that mean? Every 100 shots, Jonathan Quick gave up four more goals than he should have in Los Angeles. That's a goal a game on a team that gives up 25 shots a game. And so I am not going to sit here and be like, ah, he's, he's mad, he's angry, he's rediscovered the fountain of youth, he's fixed it. He's going to get an opportunity to. I'm skeptical just based on the numbers, not on the character, not, not, not even on the style breakdown, because I've got questions about whether his style is sustainable in today's NHL, even behind a good team, because he was behind a good one in Los Angeles defensively. So he is not the top of my list, despite the pedigree, despite the cups and all those things. It's Logan Thompson if he gets healthy, okay. or Loren Brassois if he gets healthy. And that's people are going to be like, Loren Brassois, what the hell are you talking about? Um, go look at the three games he played when he, when he finally got an opportunity back up here coming off the hip surgery. Hey, go look at the guy in Los Angeles that replaced Jonathan Quick and Jonas Corposalo. And I was like, Jonas Corposalo, one year goaltending's voodoo. No, he had hip surgery. And he was limited significantly by the positions he could get into um, that are demanded by goaltending before the surgery. And Loren Brassois is the same way. And Brassois in those three games before the second injury came in um, looked really, really good. Uh, and the numbers were even better than what Logan Thompson was pushing. So, uh, And even Aiden Hill. Like Aiden Hill, the reason Quick's playing right now is Hill's groin is being held together by duct tape and bailing wire. So that's why they're really worried about overplaying him right now. So I'm kind of... Like, as much as the focus will be on quick, I'm not an anybody but quick in terms of the playoffs, but those other three options, despite not having big names or big pedigrees like Jonathan Quick, statistically, they're better options. Um, hey, listen, Quick was okay. He was actually pretty good against the Edmonton Oilers, forcing him to seven games last year. But when you break down into the numbers, that is an exceptional defensive team in Los Angeles. And, or sorry, uh, and he wasn't posting great numbers behind them last year. They're a pretty good defensive team uh, with Vegas right now. And just because he has an aim and you're going to see him post some wins right now, the underlying numbers tell me the other guys are better options, especially if Thompson or Vassois can get healthy. You know, we've talked about um, maybe the West not having as many compelling potential matchups as the East, but the idea of Jonathan Quick oh. starting for Vegas, should they go up against the Los Angeles Kings in a series, would be, like, I have to use the chef's kiss thing already, but mm, that would be amazing. Hey, Kevin, I, would have yeah. to, I would have to burn all the statistical evidence that I just cited, yeah. pretend none of it exists, <laughs> and scream from the rafters, start Jonathan Quick, because I am all about that narrative. Yeah, that would be amazing. Hey, Kev, thanks for doing this, bud. We appreciate it. Enjoy the We'll do this again soon. Yeah, have a great weekend, boys. You too. Thanks. Kevin Willey from NHL.com and Ingold Magazine here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Do you think the improvements in um, the defensive statistics that Kevin Woodley cited are sustainable into next season? For the Canucks you're talking about. Um, I, I feel like we've done this before where we've tried to read into what happens for the Canucks when they're playing – meaningless games for them anyway mm-hmm. in February and March and April. But the Boudreaux bump was largely predicated on good vibes and Thatcher Demko playing well. Mm-hmm. I would sooner bet on um, sound defensive play or responsible hockey or structured hockey. I guess the, my, my point is that you got to have it tested in meaningful situations. Yeah, that's the tough thing, right? right? Like, that's I, the tough thing. 
when when the pressure's on. Yeah. When everyone's you know, watching. Because if you thought the pressure for the Canucks to have a good start this season was high, it's going to be double this upcoming season. Assuming that the Canucks continue on with the direction that they're on, and that is to try and make the playoffs next yes. season. It's 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 really going to be a repeat in a lot of ways of the storylines heading into this season. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Maybe, you know, uh, if at first you don't succeed, <laughs> try, try again. Um, or is it going to be the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over, you know? Uh, we'll read some more what we learned and ask us anything's on the other side. Do we have an open hour? No, we have Vanny Sartini. Oh, we have Vanny Sartini. We have Vanny Sartini. The manager of the Vancouver Whitecaps coming up next. The Whitecaps are coming off a big win, although in MLS action, they are not starting the season all that well. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.